I'm reading from Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now that's a quotation from Isaiah 53, and I would like for you to turn to Isaiah 53. And I want to read that prophecy of Isaiah 53 that Jesus says is now fulfilled. And the prophecy is verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our, for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. Now if I were to ask, and I mentioned this before, do you believe that God heals today? We'd all agree, most of us, probably unanimously, we would all agree that we believe that God does heal today. Miraculously heal. There are two kinds of illnesses. One illness, there is healing, which is in the natural, normal process of the body. And even there we believe in divine superintendency. And then there's supernatural healing where God intervenes to heal those who are unhealable in the natural process of healing. Now, somebody visited with me this week and they said, Now, did I misunderstand you Sunday night? He said, did I understand you to say that you do not believe that God intervenes today to heal? I said, yeah, you misunderstood me. You didn't misunderstand that, did you? You you do know that I said that I do believe that God intervenes and does heal today. I do believe that. That's not really the crux of the problem, see. The crux of the problem focuses on three questions. Question number one is is this, is healing in the atonement? That is, when Christ died for our sin, did He also die for our healing? In other words, can we expect healing the same way we can expect forgiveness? Because in the atonement, Christ died for both. That's the first question. The second question is this, is sickness from the devil? Is all sickness contrary to the will of God? Is sickness an attack of Satan? And the third question is, is it then God's will for a believer, all believers to be well? I mean, does He want every believer to be well? And if you're not well, it's because you're outside the will of God because He wants every believer to be well. Three questions which are really the crux 
of the problem concerning divine healing. Now, to question number one, is healing in the atonement so that when Christ died for our sin, did He also die for our healing? And we should be able to expect healing just like we expect forgiveness. See, to that question, we have to turn to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. And we have to ask the question, what did Isaiah mean when he said, He himself took our affirmities and carried away our diseases. What did he mean when he said that? And what did Isaiah mean when he said, By his stripes we are healed. Did he mean that when Jesus died on the cross in the atonement, that he died for sickness as well as for sin? Now Matthew 8 verse 16, the passage, the text that I read, is the primary text that's used to support the idea that when Christ died for our sin, He also died for our sickness. And that we have the right to proclaim or to claim healing. That is, that we, when we claim the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, at the same time we have a right to claim healing in that atonement because He is the, the healer just like He is the Savior. Now we have to look at this verse, I think, and ask some questions. The first question is, when was this prophecy fulfilled? See, Jesus said that he, the scripture says that this was done in order that what was spoken of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled when he said, he himself carried our infirmities, took our infirmities, and carried away our diseases. So what he says here in, in Matthew 8 is, that when Jesus healed, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that he would carry away our illnesses. So when was this prophecy fulfilled? Well, it's interesting to note and important to note that this prophecy, Matthew said, is fulfilled or was fulfilled right then at that moment. And it was three years before the cross. Let me say that again. The prophecy of Isaiah, what Isaiah was talking about, was fulfilled right then as he spoke in, in Matthew 8. And that was three years before Jesus died in the atoning death of Calvary. So what he's talking about in Matthew 8 is not a reference to the death of Jesus on the cross. The thing that is referred to is the earthly public ministry of our Lord. That is, when Jesus came in His public ministry, He came healing. And Matthew said that that was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He healed our infirmities and He carried away our diseases. It is significant that it was spoken three years before the cross so that what he's talking about was that when Jesus came healing in his public ministry, he was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Are you with me to that point? All right, secondly, another question that arises out of this is, what is the meaning of the word he carried away? 
or he bore our infirmities. The words that Matthew uses here are words that are never used in reference to the atonement. Now I need you to get that please. Now there is a place where these very words are used, uh, uh, this idea is used with reference to the atonement and it's 1 Peter chapter 2, 24. If you want to turn to that, you may. But let me just read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Now listen how familiar this sounds. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that he might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Now the, 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 the significant thing about that is that the word Peter uses there for bore away or carried away is a different word than Jesus, than, than is used here in Matthew uh, chapter 8. And the word that Peter uses is a word that always refers to the atonement and the word that Jesus, that's used of Jesus in Matthew 8 is never used of the atonement. So that what Peter's talking about is the bearing away of one's sin in the atonement. And when he says, by his stripes you were healed, the healing he's talking about there is not physical healing from sickness. He's talking about the healing of the sin sickness. That his stripes and his atonement cured us of the, of the, of the illness, of the sickness of sin. All right, now... The idea that sickness needs atoning is absolutely, it reveals absolutely a misunderstanding of the nature and of atonement and the nature of sickness. Now why is there a need for atonement? There's a need for atonement because of sin. The thing that, is, that, that atonement is for is for sin. The only thing that needs atoning is sin. Now, are you ready to say that you believe that sickness is a sin? I'm not. I am ready to say that sickness is the result of sin, the Adamic sin, and the result of the fall in the garden led to sin and death and sickness and all that's involved in that. But sickness is not a sin. Being sick is not sinning. And that's one of the greatest faults of the atoning, atonement healing concept because sickness needs no atonement, so why did he atone for sickness? You see what I'm saying? Now, more significant than any of these is Paul's thorn in the flesh. You remember that, don't you? In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul in the first part of that said that and he got this thorn in the flesh and he prayed that it be removed three times, that it be removed. Now watch this carefully. He said that when God gave him the basic word that that thorn would not be removed, but rather he would receive grace to endure it. Paul said, I then glory in my infirmity. Now it's interesting that the word he uses for infirmity is exactly the same word that's used in Matthew 8. So here, watch this. The Apostle Paul said that God told me that he would not remove my infirmity. And when he told me that, but rather that I would be, have grace to endure the infirmity, I gloried in it. 
Now, the point is this, that if healing is in the atonement and Christ died for our sickness to take away our infirmities, how could Paul still have them? And why would he glory in them? It would be the same as saying, I glory in sin. I think that it, that it is beyond question that Matthew 8, 17 does not teach that healing is in the atonement. I'm sorry about that, but I just believe it's beyond contradiction. Now, a further consideration is this, that if healing is available in the atonement, just like forgiveness is, then we ought to be able to assume or ought to be able to, 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 to feel that I could receive healing the same way as I receive forgiveness. For example, I believe that because of the atonement, every sin is forgiven. When you go to Christ in the atoning work of Jesus and what He did for you and you confess your faith in Him, every sin is forgiven and the word justification means that you are restored as if you had not sinned. Now, if healing is in the atonement the same way as forgiveness is, then I ought to be able to be completely restored if I have healing. I've never known anybody to have complete restoration. I mean, you, know any, you ever known anybody who have had missing teeth? Have their teeth, now that sounds kind of absurd. Or arms that have been amputated, replaced? Or bald-headed men having their hair returned? Folks still wear glasses? And the interesting thing to me is that when you read some of these books who say, the people who say that, that healing is in the atonement and you can have healing the same way as you have forgiveness just by appropriating it and claiming it, are people who write those books, you get their pictures, they're bald-headed and they wear glasses. Now, if atonement reverses the result of the fall. And that's, isn't that what atonement does? Doesn't atonement reverse the result of the fall? For what was the result of the fall? That man had sinned against God and would, you know, and, and would experience death, eternal death. But atonement reverses the result of the fall. Now if healing is in the atonement, then we must believe then that healing, that, that, that atonement reverses the entire result of the fall. Well, why do men still sweat when they labor? And why do women still have pain in childbirth? And why do snakes still fall on, crawl on the ground? And why do men still die? See. Now, what folks do is, it's called eisegesis, is they take out one aspect of the fall, which is sickness, and say that atonement, the healing atonement, reverses the result of sickness. But what about these others, folks? When I see snakes walking on two, four, on, on two feet, and I see men work without sweating, and I see women have babies without pain, I see folks no longer die, then I believe that healing is in the atonement. For healing... The atonement healing 
is to say that everything is reversed. Um, if you've been saved, you can claim that. Or folks get worse and worse and worse, claiming it all the time. I know a pastor one time, I heard of a pastor who refused to go to a doctor because he got caught up in this, that healing is in the atonement. If you've been saved, all you have to do is claim healing. And he just got worse. And while people of the same persuasion gathered around him, prayed for him, tell him, don't go to the doctor. If you just pray, if you claim it, if you just trust God, you'll be well. While they gathered around him and prayed, he died. They should have been tried for negligent homicide, in my opinion. The question is, if that person didn't have enough faith, well, how much faith does it take? And you say, well, he had some sin in his life. These are cop-outs. And they are necessary if you're going to preach a gospel like this. You're going to have to come up with some fine print that's going to let you off the hook. It seems to me that those who preach this doctrine want to leave all the failure on the doorsteps of others. You can preach and promise anything you want to, and if it doesn't work, you just blame it on someone else. There's no such thing as a four-square gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for man's sin, was buried and rose again, and we are never, never commanded to preach healing as a part of that gospel. Any gospel that teaches that healing is as much a part of the gospel as death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a false teaching, in my opinion. All right, second is sickness from Satan. I mean, is it an attack of Satan or is it the result of, of satanic work? Now, those who believe in atonement healing have always believed that sickness is of Satan. Now, let it be said again that sickness is a result of sin and a fall. Not your sin, perhaps, but could be. But simple answers to complex problems raise more problems. Some of you may have read some of C.S. Lovett's books, and I've got many in my library. He's, he's a good author, really. He's got an excellent book on, on Satan. C.S. Lovett, one of his books, said, when a person becomes sick, he in some way violated the laws of health. For a person to get well, he must cooperate with these same laws. Here again, that's too simple an answer for a complex problem. I know a person who had who has sugar diabetes inherited from his, from, his, from his parents, from his mother. What law of health did he violate? And I know of a person who has a kidney disease he inherited from his, from his father. What law of health did he violate? And I've known people who have cooperated with the laws of health to the nth degree, and while they were physical specimens, they still got sick and died. These are complex problems, and we don't have answers for them. But is, an, is all sickness the result of Satan or the devil? Let me read you John 9, 1 through 3. And as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents but it, was, but it was in order that the works of God must, might be displayed in him. 
we must work the works of Him who sent me. As long as it is day, the night is coming when no man can work. Now, there was a common belief in Jesus' day that when somebody got sick, it was because they had sinned. What an, what an easy answer. And when Jesus said, He said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He didn't, he didn't mean that they didn't sin, for all have sinned. He meant What he meant was that their sick, his sickness was not the result of his sin, nor was it the result of his parents' sin. Sickness is not an attack of Satan. As a matter of fact, sometimes God permits sickness for a redemptive purpose. For example, Lazarus' sickness and his death was that God might be glorified. And the Apostle Paul talks about that over in Philippians 1. He said, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, it doesn't matter to me so that in order that it's just so that God will be glorified. And sometimes sickness is sent by God that He might be glorified. In the case, for example, the 12th chapter of Acts, you know, when Herod came out in that shiny uniform and he was glistening and folks began to say, it is God, it's God. And God, the true God, sent a sickness that God might be glorified. Now I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but I just want to make this abundantly clear that if if we attribute sickness to Satan and that it is an attack to Satan, whatever kind of sickness is, we're going to eliminate, I'm going to say this again in a minute, but I can't wait to say it, we're going to eliminate some of the, one of the ways, the best ways that God gets glory. We give that glory to Satan, you see what I'm saying? All right, third question. Is it the will of God for every person to be well. Now folks, I have longed to believe that. I want to believe that more than anything in the world, that God wants everybody to be well. Because I want everybody to be well. I want my wife to be well. I want to believe that God wants everybody well. But I can't, for the life of me, substantiate that from Scripture. For example, just jot these down. 2 Timothy 4.20 reads like this. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Now, I think Paul had a gift of healing, a sign that authenticated his apostleship. I believe that Paul had a gift of healing. And I believe that the apostle Paul loved his fellow workers. My question then is, why didn't he heal that man? He left him sick at Trophimus. The only answer you can come, 
come to with that regard is that it's not God's will for everybody to be well. All right, second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it is obvious that Paul is ill. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on what his thorn was with regard to this, but, but, I, but it was a physical infirmity. We believe that. And because, this is what verse 7 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, how it reads, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. In Galatians 4.13, he talks more about it. He says, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And in verse 17 of the sixth chapter of Galatians, he says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul had a physical problem. He had certainly had physical pain. It bothered him day and night. But the greatest example of all, now listen to this, is 1 Timothy 5.23. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He's always, he's like me. They didn't have Tagamet then and Zantac. I eat them like candy. But he had a stomach problem constantly. Now let me ask you this. Why didn't he just say to Timothy, you had this stomach problem long enough. You don't have to put up with that. Claim healing and you'll have it. Why didn't he just say to Timothy, call for the elders of the church and let them pray and get well. There's no reason for you to have that illness. The conclusion of that is that there is no teaching in Scripture indicating that it is always God's will for us to be well. Now, I want to give you seven observations concerning the idea that healing is in the atonement and it's always contrary to the will of God for us to be well. Seven observations that all you got to do is name it and claim it. I don't want to get, on any, get anybody angry with me, but, you know, just name it and claim it. Seven observations about that. Number one, it's a dangerous belief. You hear me? It's dangerous. Folks, you can die naming it and claiming it. I've heard people say you've got to break the curse and you've got to trust God and act like you're healed. You can die doing that. And some persons are taught in this community, they're taught that you don't even think sickness. Because if you think sickness... You give the devil authority to cause sickness. You give him permission to cause sickness that he didn't have prior to that. I heard of a woman who had a malignant tumor in her breast. She had a lump in her breast and she wouldn't go to the doctor. She wouldn't even think about it because she thought that if I think about it, I'm giving the devil place 
And I've got to keep a positive thought that this is not a tumor. This is not a lump. And she died as a result of it. It's a dangerous thing. All right, second. This doctrine adds guilt to grief. It adds guilt to grief. Now, is this logical or not? That if I have enough faith, I can be well because God wants everybody well. And I'm not well. What does that do? I mean, you don't have to be a Harvard graduate to know that what that communicates is that you don't have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's the result of that? Guilt. My mother, bless her heart, she was a saint if there ever was one. My, my brother died in a war, and, and I mean, I wasn't a time, I don't remember a time ever going to my mother's house, and she didn't bring us up. It drove me crazy. She'd say, what did I do wrong? Why did I fail? Ralph died. If I'd have had enough faith, he'd never died. She felt guilty. Somewhere along the way, somebody taught her that if you have enough faith, God wants everybody to be well and healthy and happy. All it does is add guilt to grief. Third, it raises false hopes. When somebody says you're not dying, just believe and go on thinking it, you name it and claim it, it raises false hopes. Now I'm going to get into a, I'm going to skate on thin ice here right now. There is a thin line it is an extremely, exceedingly thin line that a pastor has to walk on when he talks with people who are ill. There's a thin line between reality and faith or believing something's going to happen. It's a thin line. And I'm going to confess to you, I don't know when the line is drawn sometimes. Sometimes you want to say the reality is you're going to die rather than say we're praying that you'll get well. Pastor was walking through a nursing home and, and this little old lady was in this bed. She's 80 years old. And she said, Pastor, come here. She said, I want you to answer a question for me. I've been asking this question. Nobody gives me an answer. I want you to answer this question for me. I've served God all my life. All I've done is live for God. Why am I like this? He said, well, I can answer that question easy. She said, you can. You can tell me why I'm like this? He says, sure, you're old. Now, that seems kind of hard, but it's the fact that there's some people who are going to get ill and die. And to tell them they're not is to raise false hopes. Now, let me tell you, I believe that a person who is sensitive can know what God prompts him to say and pray. And that's where we have to be. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to go. 
I'm not going to go to a person who has inoperable cancer and who has lost massive amounts of weight and is barely strong enough to sit up and tell him that he's probably going to get well. All right, number four. It promotes self-condemnation. Hey, start, we start wondering, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be healed? See? Number five. It prevents God from ministering to us in our sickness. Well, listen to me carefully. I'm convinced that God allows sickness as a means of ministering grace to us. But if we shut our mind to that, if we believe that it's contrary for the will of God for anybody to be sick, we prevent God from ministering to us in the most beautiful ways that God ministers to us. Um, let me tell you something. I, I've seen in the years that I've pastored, even in this church, some of the most beautiful things God did in the lives of sick people. Glorious ministry of grace and power and love and help that, that were just astounding and were just as wonderful as the ministry of healing. You believe that? Amen. That's true. Is that God ministers in sickness in ways that are as wonderful as the ministry of healing. Number six, name it and claim it destroys compassion for those who are hurting. Now, here's a person dying of cancer. Somebody comes into his room and says, well, you just don't have enough faith. And there is this pharisaical attitude. And there's no compassion for those who are hurting. It's like the pastor I know of who believed that every sickness was an attack of Satan and all we had to do was get our lives right. And he taught that in his church. And his people believed it. And his little boy came down with, with diabetes and he refused to get him help and the boy got worse and worse. And finally this pastor went to a pastor friend. He said, what should I do about this? I'm desperate. I'm afraid my son's going to die. And the pastor said, take him to a doctor and admit that you were wrong. And go to your church and say that you were wrong. And the pastor said, the other pastor said, well, what about my teaching? And his kind friend said, listen, your boy is more important than your teaching. And he got the boy to the doctor and it took months to reverse this process. He almost died. It was needless. And when he went to the church and admitted that he was wrong, they fired him. It destroys compassion for those who are hurting. Listen, folks. 
Even if you believe tonight, and that's your right, and we're not going to have a breakup of fellowship just you know, because we may have a difference at this point. Even if you believe tonight that God plans for everybody to be well, don't you lose your compassion for those folks who are hurting and dying. And think that they don't have to be that way. All they got to do is get their sin confessed up and have enough faith. All right, number seven. Atonement healing cheapens the gospel and holds it up to ridicule. Folks, I believe that when Jesus shed His blood, He did far more for me than to save me from the heartbreak of psoriasis. I, that cheapens the gospel. I believe that what He did in the atonement was far more glorious and wonderful than to purchase my physical healing. What He did in the atonement was to buy my eternal salvation at the cost of His own blood. And if we make the atonement less than that, we cheapen it. And that's where I have a problem with these, some of these people who place a greater emphasis on healing than they do salvation. Now, I want us to go back and I want to summarize this. I don't want to make upset anybody. I just want to preach what I feel is a deep conviction of my own. Is healing in the atonement? I don't think it is. I don't think that you can claim healing the same way you can claim forgiveness of sin. Is sickness the result of a satanic attack? I don't think it is. I don't think that sickness is Satan attacking you. You get rid of Satan and you'll be okay. Third, is it God's will for everybody to be well? Well, the answer, still no. I believe that it's God's will for us to be holy. And if sickness is a way for us to become holy, then as James said, thank God for the sickness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do intervene and that you do heal. And we're grateful every time that happens. We've seen it happen. We know it happens. And we're grateful for it. But we also understand, Lord, I, I think that we understand this, that in your permissive will and in your plan for this world, in your permissive plan, there are those of us 
will be sick. And I pray that what we'll desire in all of that is that you'll be glorified. Whether by life or by death, whether by health or by the lack of it, you'll be glorified. I pray that you'll give us not the faith to get well, but the faith to stay sick and to give God the glory. Because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now I wonder if there's someone tonight who would like to make a decision for Christ's sake. Maybe to accept Christ, maybe to rededicate your life, maybe to join the church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come forward, make that public.